Hello, and welcome to The Windwire, where industry leaders share the stories of transformative deals that shape their companies and careers. I'm Michael Katz, and we hope these stories will help empower you and your teams with inspiration and insights for success, no matter where you are on your journey. Let's get started. Our guest today is John Sapone, a seasoned revenue leader with a rich history in tech companies. Currently, John is the SVP of sales at Snowflake, a position he's held since 2019. His journey to the top echelon of Snowflake sales teams includes impactful tenures at notable companies like ServiceNow, where he finished as the VP of commercial sales for the Americas, and at Nimble Storage. Before these roles, John also led sales teams in storied organizations like Data Domain and EMC. His proven track record in leading teams is truly inspirational, and we're excited to share one of his stories with you today, which in this case shows the potential impact of taking career risks that even your family doesn't believe in. Let's dive into the conversation with John Sapone. John, welcome to the podcast. Michael, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Given that you're someone who's been a part of so many great companies, I'm excited to talk today about one deal that really changed your career and put you on the map. But before we get into that, I want you to set the scene. You mentioned before this that your deal is from 2003 when you were an account executive at a company called Comvault. Can you provide some background about how you found yourself there and what's happening in your career at the time? Yeah, I, I'll say this. I don't, I don't want to say it's the deal that put me on the map, but I feel like it was the deal that sort of defined my future. And I, I had just spent nine years at the beginning of my career uh, working for a reseller. And I had, I had started out there as an inside salesperson, you know, banging the phones back before really the internet was around and I guess I'm aging myself a little bit and then moved my way up into being, you know, an outside account executive to ultimately becoming the vice president of sales and found myself in an interesting situation at that point where my wife and I had just had our first son and I felt like I was just really, you know, burning the midnight oil. And I, I had gotten to the point where I don't know that it was as much fun as I wanted it to be. And a gentleman walked into my office. His name was Pat Bruno. Never forget Pat walked into my office and Convolt was a partner of ours um, back then. And we got talking and he's like, I'm looking for a sales rep to cover Georgia and the Carolinas. And I was like, okay. He goes, do you know anybody? I said, yeah, me. He's like, what do you mean you? You're the vice president of sales here. And I said, yeah, I, I just, I think I want to, I think I want to go back to my selling roots. And so it was Valentine's Day. 2002. I'll never forget it. I actually got on a plane, flew up to Newark and went on an interview at, in Oceanport, New Jersey, ultimately got the job of being a, just a, an enterprise rep in Atlanta, Georgia, covering the, the Carolinas and Georgia at Convault. My father-in-law, who I, I love to death, thought about me and thought I was making some of the biggest mistakes um, to now we, we sort of joke about, you know, sort of about these life decisions and, and, uh, Really enjoyed the really enjoyed the decision. I was glad I, I made the decision to go to Convault. Interesting. Sounds like a lot of change and a lot of opportunity. Now that we have that background, I think it would be helpful to just dive into the deal, including who it was with and how it all came about. So I was in North Georgia at the time. I, I vividly remember where I was. I was calling on a North Georgia Medical Center. They were a customer of mine, small, albeit at the time. And I was in the parking lot. And my phone rang and it was my inside sales person from Convo that said, Hey, listen, I just got this, this lead 
for this company in Atlanta called Georgia Pacific. Well, I mean, obviously I've heard of them. They're now part of Coke Industries. And I was like, okay, well, what, what did the person say? Well, they didn't leave their name. I couldn't get their name. And we had this really interesting conversation. And I think there's an opportunity there, but I don't really have anything else to tell you other than that. I was like, well, okay, that's great. I went, went about my business and the next day I got a phone call from that individual at Georgia Pacific. He called me and we set up a, an introductory meeting and, and he was at the time and, you know, no disrespect to this individual because I know him very well. Ultimately, he came to work for me. He was just, he was in charge. He was their backup administrator responsible for their open systems and Unix environment. And so we went down and, and we met with him and it was almost something surreal, Michael, in the fact that everything that they wanted to do was absolutely right in our wheelhouse. Now, the incumbent at the time was Hewlett Packard. They basically owned the Unix, the Unix backup and recovery market as it pertained to HPUX. And, and then obviously there was Veritas, which was the big 800 pound gorilla that played a lot in that space. And, and both of them kind of just fell asleep at the wheel. And we executed against this multi, multi-month campaign that in the end resulted in probably the largest non-public sector win at the time for Commvault. And, you know, subsequently I feel like put Commvault on the map as, as a true enterprise backup and recovery player in the market. And this was, this was the exciting time. It was, this was ours to win and, and, and ours to lose. It took, geez, it, it probably took close to nine to 10 months to close. There were a lot of peaks and valleys and we had to do everything from a really, really arduous proof of concept, which, you know, everybody wants to shy away from, but this was, this was a multinational deal that, you know, had serious implications on, on the company's business. And so we embarked on this journey and, and you know, what happens when you go and you try to do this really big, hairy proof of concept. Inevitably, um, things don't work. Things break and it results in either doing one of two things. It makes you either bitter or it makes you better. And we ultimately circled the wagons and we did not hold back from showering this potential customer with every single resource that we could possibly imagine from Comfort. And it was, I'm going to win this thing with them, or I'm going to lose this thing with them. And when we win this deal, every single person is going to say, I was the reason why we got the deal closed. And I was fine with, I didn't care because I wasn't going to win the deal without them. And this, by the way, this included my manager at the time, Pat Bruno, when he'd spend many an afternoon talking me off the ledge of just wanting to go in guns a blazing and figure out how we were going to get it done instead of being slow and methodical, which was the right thing to do and, and ensure that we got the biggest piece of the pie as possible, because that was really going to guarantee us the ability to win that deal. Clearly Pat had to talk you down from your approach. What would have happened without that guidance? And what did you learn from listening there? Yeah. You know, and, and that, that approach is probably one that is just a very you know, an, an individual that didn't have a lot of experience running complex sales cycles. And, and you know, in the end, as I, I have spent many a year, 20 plus years reflecting on this opportunity, it, it's definitely made me a better person. And, and I think about today, even in, in my career, the, the 
there's 12 to 15 different lines of business that I have involved in every one of my deals to ensure that we, we drive success and, and ultimately put our customer at the center. I think if, if we have, if we would have just gone and done it my way and gone and kicked in the front door, we may have won a small little footprint, but we wouldn't have ever gotten to the large multinational enterprise ELA that we ultimately did get to because my boss was a phenomenal coach and helped me understand all the reasons why we needed to go about this very methodical sales process to ensure that we got and accomplished ultimately the goals that the customer set out to deliver on. Got it. Well, it's great that it worked out in the end. Of course, with a deal like this, there are always a lot of highs and lows along the way, in addition to a lot of funny and crazy moments that really stick with you. Are there any memorable moments from this one that you still talk about with old colleagues, friends, customers that really stick in your mind? Oh man, there, there, you know, there was a Starbucks across the street that I just lived at. Um, and I, I would, I could tell you, I was down there almost every day. One time I paid a guy to park in the parking lot that I always paid at that wasn't even the parking attendant. Um, that I think about all the time because, you know, I just wasn't, I pulled in, I was on the phone. I wasn't paying attention. The guy's like 10 bucks. I gave him 10 bucks, pulled in. And then the next thing I know, the guy that actually collects my money all the time is like 10 bucks. I was like, shoot. And I didn't have any cash. I had to go borrow cash from somebody. It was just an absolute freaking nightmare. And then there was a time I was really, you know, one of the things that I had committed to and the reason why I had stepped out of management and moved back into just carrying a bag is it, I, I just needed to spend some time with my family a, a little bit more. And so we had a son at the time and my wife was pregnant with what I thought was our second child. And the one time I don't go to the doctor with her, she calls me and she's like, you have to come and meet me. I'm like, I can't come and meet you. I've got our senior vice president of sales coming to town to go on a meeting at Georgia Pacific. Like this is, I got to do this. She's like, John, you have to come and meet me. So I went and met her at Starbucks and I walk in and she's sitting there and she opens up a folder and I was like, what's up? Or, you know, is everything okay? She's like, yeah. I go, did you find out the sex of the baby? She said, which one? I was like, oh my God, we're having twins. Now. The reason we had twins is because she said when we were getting ready to get married that she wanted to have three kids. And I told her, not a chance. We'll have one with an option for two. She said, John, this is not a business deal. I want two with an option for three. Not going to happen. I said, the only way it happens is if we have twins the second time around. And she looked me dead in the eye, Michael, and she said, can you make them boy, girl? Totally natural. Just happened that way. Guess what I have? Boy, girl, twins. Can't make that up. Wow. That is truly amazing. And good to hear that your wife had a win here as well. And, oh, she uh, was in it. She was a hundred percent invested in it. Like it was, this was, this was as much her deal as it was, as, as was the, you know, our deal. Sounds like she manifested her reality, whether you liked it or not. You mentioned earlier that this deal defined your future in a variety of ways. Why else was it momentous? There's an outcome of the story that is actually a really good story. So we, we, we close the deal, we, we, we do the implementation and, and there's this guy that keeps calling me and he keeps calling me and they were like a, they were a technology partner of ours. And I was like, I, you know, I knew who they were a little bit because the sales rep that was, you know, had been on, on Georgia Pacific was calling me because he wanted me to help him make some introductions. And so finally, 
I agreed to meet this gentleman for a cup of coffee. And so I meet this gentleman for a cup of coffee and he's like, look, I, I want you to come out and I want you to interview with us. I'm like, look, man, I'm good. Like I, I'm good. But you know what? I told myself a long time ago that I wasn't going to, you know, take and miss an opportunity just because I was being stubborn. And I really believed in the theory and the thesis around their product, but I didn't really know anything about it. So I get on this plane, fly out to California. This guy picks me up. That guy's name was Dave Schneider. And that, that morning I went and interviewed at a company called Data Domain with a gentleman by the name of Frank Slootman. Changed my life forever. So, and that was all a result essentially of this deal. That was all over building, yeah, building, you know, building a groundswell of, of people trying to figure out like, what is this guy doing? He's closing this big deal. I mean, data domain at the time was like 50 people. I think they had, I was their sixth sales rep globally. Like it was, it was a remarkable, a remarkable story. And when I left there, I called my wife and I said, Hey, I'm taking the job. And she's like, did they offer it to you? I said, no, but I'm going to figure out a way to get it because this thing is going to be material. I left my job at Convolt. I take the job at Data Domain. Now my father-in-law laugh about it. He thought it was the craziest thing I've ever, how could you, he tells me now, this is what he was thinking. He didn't tell me at the time. How could you leave a great job where you're making a couple hundred thousand dollars a year to take a job where, you know, you're doing the same thing and it's risky and da, 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 da. And, and now we laugh about it. Hearing all this personal and professional change in one story honestly makes it sound like it lasted a lifetime. It was. How did you end up managing it and setting yourself up for success afterwards? I sat down with Frank that day and I told Frank, I said, listen, I'll be your number. I don't want to you, you think that I'm being cocky, but I'll tell you, I'll be your number one sales rep by Q4. And then I want to talk to you about potentially getting back into leadership, but only that I have to be number one first. And then once I've earned that right, I, I, I want I want to talk to you about it. Until then, you know, I'll just do my job. How did you get yourself noticed by people outside of your company? Were folks like Data Domain competing with you here? They weren't involved at all. I mean, it, I think what happened was um, Dave knew that he had to make a change. And Commvault was a backup software and Data Domain was a backup to disk target. So Data Domain really needed Commvault. And Commvault was really friendly to data domain back then. And so what happened was all the data domain reps would try to reach out to their Commvault counterparts and try to figure out where that business was because it just slid right in and they, it was like peanut butter and jelly. They worked great together. And, um, and, and most of it was more in the mid enterprise to larger enterprise, not like global 2000s. And so I don't know, I've, I guess I've never really asked Dave how he got my name other than he probably asked who's the Commvault rep and you know, what the hell's going on and how is this guy closing a multi-million dollar deal? And that maybe, I guess, I don't know. To your point, this is great evidence of the power of building those internal and external networks, whether it's making those inside the company feel successful or those outside the company like customers and partners. Was that something that you were particularly focused on? People, yeah, people matter. People matter. You know, I, I touched on it a little bit earlier in our conversation, Michael, but like on my staff call every Monday morning, I have 14 different lines of business representing our business. And each one of those individuals has the opportunity to give updates to my entire leadership team 
And I, I remind people all the time, like, that's not even every line of business here that is responsible and in the boat with you to drive ultimately the success within our customer base. And so, you know, what I, what I learned was building an internal network is just as important as building an external network. And what I mean by that is, as I went through this really complex sales campaign as, as an individual, like this is really the, again, this is the one that sticks out in my mind is so memorable, is what I realized was I needed to know who to call to solve a problem or to bring, you know, bring in the heavyweights. And what I wanted them to do is look at their phone and go, oh, it's John calling. I better take this call. It's got to be important instead of going, oh, it's John calling. Like, and, and you do that by really showing appreciation. Oftentimes people talk about building your brand. I hate that because that sounds like what you're trying to do is be political and make a name for yourself instead of ultimately aligning yourself and ensuring that the people that are there to help you because of the role that they're in want to do it. And they're going to go above and beyond, not because that's what they get paid to do, but because of what I've earned from a respect perspective. And so when, when the woman that knew everything there was to know about Oracle, and I could tell you her name, uh, but I won't in the spirit of keeping it anonymous, like when I called her, she would pick up the phone and she would get on a plane that afternoon. Whatever it took, whatever barrier, whatever was in the way, she was, got, she was fully vested. And so back to building that internal network, I, I challenge people either that I mentor that work for me or that, you know, are trying to get into a different place in their career. I said, well, okay. So of these 14 business units, like what is the person that matters the most where you are? What are they going to say about you? They're going to say one of three things. Yes, no, and I don't know. And I don't know and no are exactly the same. You need everybody to say yes. And from, from that moment on, from the CEO on down, everybody knew who I was. And it wasn't because I closed this deal. It was because I got everybody fully vested and every single person felt like the reason we won the deal was because of them, not me. And that was great. Well, and I think the funnier even part around that is I think a lot of people in today's culture don't even necessarily know who the person to go to is. And that's like, you know, the level one to your point, which is, yeah, well, of course you're going to like you, but are you even reaching out in the first place? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, look, it's not, a, this is not a, it's just not a matter of liking or not liking that. Those are, that's emotional. This is about that, you know, that insatiable appetite to win and, and have respect. At the end of the day, are we going to go out? Am I going to go out and drink a beer with everybody that goes and gets in the boat with me? I probably will. Does that mean I'm going to drink a beer with them on a Saturday afternoon? Probably not. They probably won't want to drink a beer with me on a Saturday afternoon, but they know at the end of the day, we are going to run the most organized, executed sales campaign that they've ever been a part of. What mistakes do you think people make in bringing others in and working alongside them? Yeah. Well, first of all, they think the, the, the worst mistake is they think they can do it themselves. And when they quickly realize they can't, they go and, and it's, they don't, they, they don't go and shepherd the resources 
like they would be running an external sales campaign. And there, there's a number of individuals that I have mentored over my career. And I've, I've always asked them, like, take me through the conversation you just had with the senior vice president of product. By the way, I already know that how the conversation went and it didn't go well. It's typically a salesperson or a sales leader demanding this, demanding that, you know, assuming that there's nothing else in the world going on except what they need. Instead of taking the time to really articulate the ask and get them vested. You know, all too often people think it they deserve to be helped because they're in sales instead of earning the right for people to want to help them. And it's it's an attitude, it's a mindset. And it's, you know, there's so many silly sayings where you get more bees with honey than vinegar. And it's all very true. We can be demanding and we can have really high expectations, but it's all about how you go and ask for help instead of demanding it, which changes the outcome long-term for any individual in their career. Because you'll do it once and you'll probably get it, but you know what? You'll never get it again. Or you definitely won't get it when you really need it because people just don't see you as that type of professional. They see you as a selfish, self-absorbed salesperson that doesn't care about anybody but themselves. And the reality is most people who support deals and support customers don't actually get paid on the deal like a salesperson or a leader might. That's right. So That's really why it's no okay. That's why it's okay, Michael, for all of them to take credit for it. Because the salesperson's getting paid. If they want the credit for it, please take the And I mean that with all my heart. I, I, I bought a gong in my office here in Atlanta because I, I just wanted to add some, you know, we're coming out of COVID. We've got a lot of young people coming into the office and I want, I want to feel that sense of that sense of pride. When somebody closes a deal, they ring the gong. And so I brought it in and somebody's like, well, you hit it. I go, I can't hit that gong. I'll never hit that gong. And they said, why? Because I don't close business. That's your job. I'm just here to support you. I said, if I, if I ring that gong, only bad things happen. And so it's actually pretty funny. Yeah. Never, 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 never hit it. Want to so many times, but I can't. One day, one day, maybe. To start closing here with the pace of change across the industry, is there anything you're focused on specifically and anything you see others focused on that maybe they shouldn't be? You know, I'll say this. I know that there are three things that really matter when you are selling to an enterprise. And it's the only three things that you should focus on. Making them money, saving them money, or mitigating risk. Anything else really doesn't matter. And yes, there's, there are sort of intricate technology aspects of things that have to go and, and work themselves out. But as an executive, you, you should only be talking about those three things because the technology is really cool and that's sort of what makes everything a reality. But at the end of the day, you can have the best technology and not solve any problems and you won't sell anything. I think that's probably, I think that's probably the one thing that I think about all the time. There's also, you know, there's not, a, there, there's not a lot of great leaders that have led through sort of the adversity that we're that we've all lived through for the last couple of years. And, and 
it's really, it's easy to be a great leader when things are great. It's really hard to be a great leader when things, when things are difficult and staying focused and staying true to what you know matters to the customer, to the company, and then to yourself and in that order ultimately will drive success because most people put themselves first, put the company second and the customer third, or in some other, in, in some other order where it isn't the customer first, the company second and themselves. When you have that mindset, when you buy into that and believe it and every decision you check yourself on, am I doing this in the right order? That is what ultimately will benefit you, your career, and most importantly, the customer and the company. To close out the episode, I know you mentioned David Schneider earlier, so it might be him, but who are one or two leaders or peers of yours over time that have had the most impact on your career story and why? Well, I wouldn't call him a peer because I've worked for him for 17 years, but absolutely Frank. I, I learn from Frank Slootman every day and have, you know, I've had the opportunity to work with him across three different organizations now. He is the one that taught me the customer first, company second and yourselves third. And I, I, wa I witnessed that firsthand way back when at Data Domain. The, the other one that I would tell you that, that, you know, there is often times where I say to myself, what would Kevin do? It would be Kevin Haverty. I mean, you know, he, there was, his leadership style is, is second to none. And he is as even keel as even keel can be. And, and his ability to, to really foster and grow people is, is something that you don't see very often. So it would, it would be Kevin and, uh, and probably another gentleman that, that, um, that I had the opportunity to meet along the way and is still a very dear friend of mine by the name of Mike Sheehy. Mike was a longtime EMC guy that we pulled out of retirement at Data Domain to come to work for us. And then he spent many a year being Kevin's chief of staff and still is working at ServiceNow today. So yeah, when, when I need to go get some counsel, I'm calling, I'm calling Kevin, I'm calling Mike, and I'm calling Dave. Great, thank you so much, John. This was super insightful and really fun. This was great, Michael. I, I, you know, as you can tell, it's, it's e this is an easy one to talk about because I think about it every day. And, and those individuals that I mentioned, you know, single-handedly have probably changed my life in ways that I never would have imagined. And uh, I'm just, I consider myself very fortunate every day. Thanks for tuning into this episode of The Windwire, where we got a chance to learn from the vast experience of John Sapone. We hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as we did and picked up valuable insights. If you've enjoyed today's episode, we'd be grateful if you could rate us and leave us a review on your preferred podcast platform. Your feedback helps us reach a wider audience and helps us bring more insightful conversations your way. We'd love to hear from you. You can reach us at our show email, windwirepodcast at gmail.com with your feedback, suggestions, or requests for future episodes. Don't forget to check out all our previous episodes at thewindwire.com or on your favorite podcast player. And make sure to subscribe so you never miss an upcoming episode. Until next time, I'm Michael Katz, and you've been listening to The Windwire.